all of us have our share of missed opportunities. And when we look back over those missed opportunities, a lot of times we say to ourselves, woulda, shoulda, coulda, right? If some things had been different, I would have made a different choice and it would have led to a different direction. Well, today what we're going to do is continue in this series called Lithographs, Impressions of Inclusion. And we're going to concentrate on Palm Sunday, Jesus going into Jerusalem, and a few of the things that follow. And next week we'll finish this series as we look at the very last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. So when you think about those opportunities that we miss, it's not just us. When you look in the scriptures, you'll find people have missed their opportunities on various occasions for various reasons. Now Jesus has been on a journey, and this journey is one that has a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda elements to it that pertains not only to himself but to his disciples and certainly to these characters that we will be introduced to in today's message. Jesus has been journeying from Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem. And we have said in the past couple of messages that as he travels in this journey toward his destiny, toward that defining moment of all history when he will be crucified, that he makes every mile matter along the way as he stops at various villages and as he provides healing and teaching for the crowd. But now the time has come, and in chapter 19 of the book of Luke, he finally reaches this area of Jerusalem, and what we find beginning in chapter 9, verse uh, 21 through 22, there's this echo that he had told us, back, told us about all the way back in chapter 9. He said, said to his disciples, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to new life. Now, it sounds like a done deal, doesn't it? When Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified, it seems as though it's kind of fatalistic almost. I don't want you to miss the fact that even though God is involved in the activities of the human experience, yet we all have choices to make. We all have free will to engage. And what you find is there's a strange mystery between God's will and our free will and how they come together. And sometimes those things that happen in life we think are kind of predetermined, yet if we look back on them, we might find that it would be different if woulda, coulda, shoulda was a part of my decision making at that time. Well, Jesus, as he rides into Jerusalem, kind of knows what the people are going to do. He not only has a premonition, he knows the human tendencies, doesn't he? And he kind of knows that they're going to reject the type of kingdom that he is offering. Yet at the same time, do not discount that these are real choices that people are making in time. These are not just things that happen 
without any control. These are things that happen because the individuals that are involved in this drama actually chose to make some of the decisions that they had made. So what I want us to think about today is how that affects what happens going forward. This past week we had another school shooting. Three staff members and three students down in Nashville. And we will be telling this story again and again and again unless we actually make choices to go in a different direction. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. What will the next generations think when they look back on us here in the 21st century and they see the casualties of mass shootings totaling higher than all the soldiers lost in Afghanistan. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Were there things that could have been done, should have been done, that would make a difference? You see, we just can't dismiss it or say it's out of our control. Part of being a human being is seeing those moments when woulda, coulda, shoulda are actually engaged into would and could and should. So I came across this uh, little thing. It's a lyrics called Renegades by Five Iron Frenzy. Anybody know that group? Five Iron Frenzy. He, they write and sing this. The lobbyists are mustering and Congress filibustering, procrastinating, delegating, multitudes are suffocating, and the bullets sing, let freedom ring, a rerun for the next school, dismantle it for the minuscule. Another senseless tragedy is blotted out for apathy. From the trading floor, they watch as their profits soar. Sing you myths of laissez-faire, Close your fist, you're, you billionaires. Hide behind your forefathers. Close your eyes to our sons and daughters. As we whisper lullabies, Jesus Christ, don't let them die. And the Son of God, you call him Prince of Peace. You want his worshipers to make your sales increase. And then the Son of God, all clothed in righteousness, you want his followers, but not the pacifist. You want your ledgers black but we want our children back. Pretty aggressive, powerful lyrics in that song. When we think about this intersection between what is possible and what we feel is impossible, we ask God to intervene, but God always factors in our choices in the process too. And so, when we think about Jesus on this journey, what we're going to see is there are those who didn't get it. There are those that just missed it. There are those that didn't want to engage with this type of message that Jesus was bringing. And then there were those that did. So in the reading I gave to you just a moment ago, we saw that Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. And the reason that he weeps is because of the missed opportunity 
that this generation had to welcome in a new way of life, one that would be directly opposite to the ways of empire that get their way through violence. Brian McLaren in that chapter mentions the procession of the military coming into Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. They were going to quell any type of rebellion. And here Jesus comes in on a colt, never ridden before, and yet he's coming in and the people look and they see, they see him coming in and a couple of them remember the words of the prophet Zechariah and they go, that's a promise, that's a promise, the Messiah is coming. Zechariah told us that he will be riding on the back of a colt. Well, what they didn't understand is that the type of kingdom that Jesus was bringing was not the kind that they figured is the only way you can overthrow another kingdom. Violence meets violence. And so they will do later in the week when they see that Jesus is not going to lead an insurrection against Rome, they will kill Jesus and place him on a Roman torture instrument, the cross. It is there he will die. And yet at the same time, he will look down upon those who put him there. And he will say, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And Jesus said the very same thing as he's weeping. They are missing their opportunity. They're missing their chance for a better life, a new way of doing things, a better kingdom. And so as he weeps, he looks upon all the people that are going to be slaughtered. 36 years later, when the Jews decide they're going to try to rebel against Rome, Rome will sell, uh, send in a massive army of 60,000. 60,000 soldiers into the city. The historian Josephus tells us that over a million Jews were killed. The temple's destroyed. The city is left desolate. Those who were in the city, many of them were taken as slaves. And others were just left to starve to death. It's a tragic moment, and that's what Jesus sees as he's looking ahead and he's going, they're not going to make the right choice. They're just not going to make the right, right choice. And they're going to look back and they're going to say, oh, shoulda, coulda, woulda, if we'd just done it differently. But they didn't. They lost that opportunity because they didn't have the vision or at least the faith that a different way of life would work. So Jesus finally comes into Jerusalem, and there's another group that miss it. In the temple area where people would come and they would purchase animals to make a sacrifice of worship to God, there's profiteers there. And they make a lot of money on the exchange rate between currencies. They make a lot of money on inflation of price for animals that are going to be sacrificed. And Jesus comes into the temple and he says, you are making my father's house, which was meant to be a house of prayer, a place of connection, a place of praise. You're making it into a den of robbers. He overthrows the tables. Other 
Gospel writers tell us that he grabs a whip and he drives some of the animals out. And at that moment, at that very moment, those who are the religious leaders can't let go of their profit margins and they make a decision that they're going to kill Jesus and get rid of him once for all. And then what happens is Jesus gives another warning. In chapter 21, he talks about this coming destruction. So he mentions it and then mentions it again. And the disciples just can't figure this out. They can't put all the pieces together. What we find, though, is in the upper room in chapter 22 of Luke, Jesus sits down at a table. And no, it's not like uh, Da Vinci's Last Supper where they're all on one side of the table. (laughs) They're in a very intimate setting where it says they're reclining at table. The table would be pretty low to the ground and they would lean on their one elbow and they would eat with the other. And so it's a kind of a very intimate setting with his disciples. And he says, I want to eat this last Passover with you. And it will be his last Passover meal. And he then tells his disciples that There's one that's going to betray him, and it is Judas, and what we're told by some of the other gospel accounts is that Judas gets up, he leaves the room, he goes out, and he makes arrangement for Jesus' arrest, but Peter speaks up, and Peter says, I will never, ever deny you, Jesus, but after he's arrested in a courtyard, there's a servant girl that comes up to Peter and recognizes him and says, aren't you one of his followers? And he says, no. Does that three times. And Jesus had already told him, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. All kinds of very poignant imagery here. And so here's this intimate setting. And he, in that moment, takes a piece of bread like we will. And he says, this is my body, broken for you. And then he takes the third cup of the Passover meal, and he shares it with his disciples, and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant, shed for you, a new way of living, a new way of life. But they don't get it. They break into an argument. They begin arguing about who is the greatest. They're still thinking about positioning themselves within Christ's kingdom. I want to be on his right, I want to be on his left, I want to have this power, I want to have this authority. And you can imagine how that's breaking Jesus' heart, right? Because he's been for three years trying to tell them that the first shall be last and the last shall be first and that it's love that will enable the world to change. Not just love of self, but love of enemy as well. And so they go out and It's in the garden that he prays and the gospel writer says, tell us that his intensity, knowing that he's going to die a cruel, awful death, is so great that he's sweating as if he has great drops of blood coming down his head. It is there that he's arrested. It is there that Peter, again, The big, bold, bodacious Peter 
is the one that pulls a sword and swipes at one of the soldiers who arrests Jesus, is coming to arrest Jesus. He misses and cuts the soldier's ear off. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, those who live by the sword, they're going to die by it. Those who live by the sword, they're going to die by it. He picks up the ear of the soldier, heals it, heals him at, on the spot. You would think that would change a lot of things, don't you? If you saw that miracle in that moment, but it doesn't. They take him to trial, and, and he is tried before some religious authorities, and then finally before Pilate. And then Pilate's trying to get out from under this. He tries to offer the crowd now that has been amped up a different prisoner, a terrorist by the name of Barabbas, who uh, has led insurrection against the Roman Empire. And he brings Jesus out, and he brings Barabbas out, and he says... I will release one of the two. Who do you want? And the crowd cries out, Barabbas, because their mentality is still, the only way we're going to overthrow these Romans is if we have enough violence to be able to overcome them. And so Barabbas is released and Jesus is crucified. Here is a series of people who probably look back. Think about this for a moment. Did Judas look back and say, woulda, coulda, shoulda? He did. He was so filled with grief after the fact that he went out and he hung himself. He committed suicide out of the anguish that he was feeling. I wonder if the disciples looked back and said, we didn't get it, did we? We didn't listen. And what you'll find is the story will go on in the book of Acts and every disciple save for one, the Apostle John, will actually give their life in martyrdom in service to Christ. And so they finally get it. But it comes much later. I wonder if things could have been different if they had seen the vision that Jesus had for the world. Could it turned out different than it did? We'll never know. But there are some people that did get it. When you get close to the end of the Gospel of Luke, there's a spotlight on some different people. And the people that are spotlighted here include some people that didn't regret when they look back on their life with woulda, coulda, shoulda. They're people that sometimes get drawn into the drama. Other times they put themselves in the middle of the drama. The first one is a guy by the name of Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene is an individual that's watching all the commotion that is happening. And Jesus has been beaten so severely that he can't carry his cross anymore. And so he needs help. And so a Roman soldier reaches this guy by the name of Simon and draws him into the procession toward the cross. And it's there that Simon carries the cross he is an individual that wasn't a willing participant, at least initially, but I'm sure as he looked back on his life, I'm sure he didn't regret the fact that he had to carry the cross for Jesus. And then we see the people in Jerusalem, some of them who were his dedicated followers, begin to cry and weep. They know that there's no turning around now. 
Jesus is condemned to die. But these are the people that will eventually see it, so we will look at next week, that he comes back to life through the resurrection. There are some people as well that are quite fascinating. When Jesus is hung upon the cross, it's not just him. There's a criminal on the right and a criminal on the left. And these two criminals are terrorists. They had led insurrections against the Roman government. And there's an interesting conversation that's going on between these two criminals. One of them looks at Jesus and says, so you think you're the Messiah, huh? If you're the Messiah, use your power and get us down off the cross. The other one looks and says, this man has done nothing wrong. We deserve to be here, but he did not do anything wrong. And that criminal then looks over to Jesus and makes a simple request and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks and with intensity of love says, today you shall be with me in paradise. This is an individual that got it. He finally saw that there's a better way of life than the usual circles that we find ourselves in. One last episode. When Jesus is taken down off of the cross, he doesn't have a place where he is to be buried. He's an itinerant rabbi who moved from place to place loved and healed people, but there was no place for him to be buried. There's this man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea that we're told that provides an unused grave. It's probably set in the rocks because we know that there was a stone that was rolled in front of the opening after he is buried there. What's interesting is it's unused. Tombs back in that day were used and reused. They would often be placed in the tomb until they deteriorated, their bones were taken out, and then it was used again. This one was never used. And Joseph of Arimathea takes that which is valuable to him and his family and gives it so that Jesus can be buried there. It is there that the women will come to prepare his body before they place the rock in front of this cave to put spices down. Each of these individuals, even though they didn't see the victory in the moment, still had the faith to see that Jesus was the one that they chose to give their life to, and they didn't need to look back with any regrets at all. When we think about this story... And when we think about our own lives, we often will look back and wish that we could have done some things differently than the way we did. We often wish the outcome was different than what it was. We often wish that the burdens of some of the decisions that we've made, we didn't have to continue to carry. But I am very sure that when we make the commitment to trust God, because he's at work too, even amidst our decisions, we will look back and we will be glad that even though some of these roads that we have traveled in life are difficult, we will be glad that we don't have to look back with regret, 
We don't have to look back and say, I wish I woulda, coulda, right? I wish, I just wish that things were different. That water has already passed under the bridge. What we can do, though, is learn. And as we learn, we grow. And as we grow, we're enabled to make better decisions for tomorrow and beyond tomorrow. And that's what the Bible calls wisdom. Wisdom is learning from your past and learning from others and taking that accumulated, not just knowledge, but the pathos of sharing life together and putting it into practice in such a way that tomorrow we will do it differently than we, the way we did it yesterday. And so when we come to the end of the Gospel of Luke, what we're finding is that Jesus, I think, is reminding us that no decision that we've ever made, including the criminal who was a terrorist, is too late. Rather, the intersection between God's will and our will is met with grace, and hopefully it is met with peace, peace of mind and peace of heart and peace with others. And so that will bring us now to this moment where we take the bread and the cup and we can say thank you that all the woulda, shoulda, coulda mistakes that I've made in my life have been forgiven. They've been wiped clean. The load that's on my back and on my shoulders has been lifted. And I can be free, free to love and free to receive love, free to serve and to be served, the freedom to celebrate and be celebrated. And so as we come to the table here, we do so with a reminder that Jesus, like this piece of matzah bread here, was broken. But his breaking was for our healing. His anguish was for our wholeness. And so we come today, and we do so once a month, and we take a piece of bread, and we hold it. Because this isn't about individualism, it's about community, it's about us together celebrating the body of Christ. So take one and pass it along, please. Jesus, in that same meal, took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. You know what that means? It's a new way of doing life, it's a new way of living, and it's a new way of love. And that's what marks the kingdom of God. So take one of the cups and hold it, and together we will eat and drink together. As it comes around, listen to the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 22. He's in the upper room with his disciples. And it is there that he will share this moment. 
with his disciples. He says this, Then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter a city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room and where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and they found the things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Let's take the bread and remind ourselves this is the body of Christ given for you. He says, eat in remembrance of me. This is the cup of the new covenant. It's the cup of a new way. It's the cup of faith. It's the cup of grace. It's the cup of peace. Let's drink together in remembrance of Christ. So as we come to the close of our service today, there's two things I want to do. This slide reminds us that we can leave the A off the end of those three words. And here's how it could turn out if we use wisdom. If we would learn from Jesus, we could experience the shalom, another word for peace, that should be the distinguishing mark of humanity. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Or if we would learn, if we would trust, we could experience a different way of life that's marked by peace, And that is what should mark the heart of all of us. I've showed this video before, but I think it's worth repeating. This is a reminder that we need to learn new ways to live a new life. Let's watch. I'm going to lay down my burden Down by the riverside Down by that river 
down by that riverside Gonna lay down my burden Down by that riverside Study war no Study war no more, study war no more, study war no more, no more. I ain't gonna study war no more, study war no more, study war no more. Lay down my food and shield, down by the riverside, down, down by the riverside, down, down by the riverside. I'm lay down my food and shield. There really is a day that's coming when swords will be beaten into plowshares. May we be part of that movement to make it so. May the Lord bless you and keep you 
and make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom, his peace. Amen. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you next week.